Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. This episode is proudly sponsored by Vivino, the world's largest online wine marketplace. The Vivino app makes it easy to choose wine. Enjoy expert team support, door-to-door delivery, and honest wine reviews to help you choose the perfect wine for every occasion. Vivino, download the app on Apple or Android and discover an easier way to choose wine. This is Cynthia Chaplin chatting with Sarah Heller our senior faculty member, about the unique VIA tasting grid used in our flagship courses. So, Sarah, moving on to the quality area of the grid, I think one of the topics you touched on briefly before that is pretty unique to the way that we are presenting this course and presenting this grid is the concentration. Absolutely. So it's something that I think there are a lot of confounding factors. People can get confused between the idea of concentration and the idea of body. You know, we, uh, there, there's, a, I think, a, um, a backlash against um, this idea of very full, luscious, bold wines um, that has led people maybe to think that concentration, while, while a, a positive quality factor for, for certain standards of wine, is not something that they're looking for. But, but I would dispute that. I think any great wine is a wine that has at least above a medium and preferably a, a fairly high level of concentration. It's about density of flavor rather than anything to do with thickness or mouthfeel per se. Exactly. And for, for people who are new to VIA, can you just describe a little bit when you talk about uh, concentration of flavor, what are you getting at here, Sarah, in terms of the fruit notes? Uh, what are you looking for in, in teaching people to understand concentration as separate from body? Yeah, so that is, that is always a very good question. I mean, I think it's it's something that requires the use of an analogy. And for me, body is, is so much about size, right? Like if, if, I'm, if I were creating one of my visual tasting notes, which is, is kind of my, my tool for thinking about wine. Still, still a goal of mine is to have one of those hanging on my wall, but we'll talk about that at another time. Thank you. A full-bodied wine for me is one where the contour, the outline that I draw is wide or rounded or the, the, the size of it is large, but one that's concentrated might be one where the color is very intense, right? Very, very deep. And there, there are lots of layers and that I think it's not about aromatic complexity so much as this sense that that there is a great deal of, of flavor intensity there, a sort of a butting against the limits of. Uh... Well, let me ask you for let me ask you for an example. So, sort of light to medium bodied wine that has a high concentration would be. Oh, typically Barolo, right? It's that's one where there's there's just an immense depth of flavor. There's often quite a lot of alcohol, but not necessarily full body. And actually, this is a statement we've been making for many rounds of VIA and finally feeling a little bit validated in the sense that a lot of studies are now showing that ethyl alcohol, um, just plain ethanol that we have in wine, is not actually something necessarily that creates body. So it is possible to have high alcohol levels without having full body. 
That was exactly what I was hoping for. That was a perfect example, just so people can really understand what you're getting at with this, because I, I find it very important, very useful. Again, with native grapes, there are many, not just Nebbiolo, that present this character of, of very concentrated richness, um, but the body is not a big, heavy, you know, high body. It's still a light-bodied wine, but the concentration of fruit and flavors, aromas is, is there for sure. So it's lovely having this distinction between those two things. And I think Italian wine, because of the, because it kind of evolved in its own universe, right? It didn't necessarily develop with, with an international palate in mind. It has these, these wines that break what we think of as, as the rules of wine, right? So we think full body and concentration must go hand in hand. And that we discover through the tasting um, of the native grape varieties in particular it simply isn't necessarily the case. And it is fantastic, particularly with clients to be able to offer, you know, many times I, I find people who say, I don't want a big, heavy, weighty wine, but I don't want to drink something that's, you know, tending towards tasteless or rather watery. A lot of our Italian grapes really solve that problem. So it's nice to be able to discuss it in a in an intellectual and again a standardized way using the term concentration versus body. People can understand that they can make the comparison and start to pull apart these different elements in the wines and it helps them to decide what style they prefer as well. So that's useful. Yeah, that is the hope that it it, it creates the the ability to distinguish between different styles in ways that we wouldn't be able to without with, with less precise language. Absolutely. Well, last but not least, and probably not last, but next anyway, I wanted to ask you about the winemaking section, because this is something that is fascinating to me when I talk about you know, the hand of man as it comes into you know, the wine, the final thing that ends up in your glass. Winemaking is so interesting, and it is, again, not something that's really discussed on any other tasting grid. Often one puts it in, in one's notes, but we don't discuss it as part of the assessment process when we're writing up our tasting notes. So it's lovely to have it. How did it get here? And what winemaking styles are you looking at here? Often the, the thing that, that drives us to create new features in the grid, um, which, which is continues to evolve and, and may continue to evolve after this podcast, um, is really looking at the answers we get to the exams. And an observation that most people seem to equate winemaking in the, in the test grid with oak, right? Is it is there oak or is there not oak? How old is the oak? What size is the oak? Where is it from? Which in an Italian context is really kind of missing the point in a lot of cases, right? Because Ita- Italian whites especially were not developed in a context where you used small, new French oak barrique. And so I really wanted to draw people's attention to the fact that there are all of these other winemaking techniques, some of which are completely or largely unique to Italy. And so, and so yes, we wanted to, to make sure that we were giving people a way of connecting aromas and sometimes textures that they're picking up in the wine to specific techniques. I think also understanding the skill level um, that has developed in this country in, in the enology sector, really a, a set of skills very particular using techniques, as you said, that aren't that common outside of Italy uh, and using them 
really carefully, sometimes even layering them to come up with wines that have incredible depth of complexity. Absolutely. I mean, Valpolicella, I think, is the is the area I think of where there are, um, you know, obviously there is a passimento, but the, the, the experimentation that's happening with Superiore to, to try and move away from a formula where, you know, Amarone is this, Valpolicella is that, Ripasso is sort of in the middle, where people are really combining techniques, trying to find really what what is a great wine, right? Not not so much what fits this idea um, that's developed in the market of what each of those things should be like. And so there is there is a scope, I think, at this stage to really be teasing out individual techniques um, more rather than just t- taking one sniff and deciding, oh, this is Amarone therefore this winemaking uh, method. Absolutely. And I, I think the ability to look at these techniques as they apply to all different wines, um, and again, heading back to the whites with lees aging, skin contact and MLF, different things that are being used to really round out some of the other notes we've discussed already, um, understanding the impact of winemaking on the final result is crucial to really understanding what's happening in Italian wines right now. Absolutely. One of the points of this course that I, I want, I think has been a part of it, and I want to emphasize more and more going forward, is that we are we're learning about the wines as they're being made today. This is not, because the course is so flexible, it's not you know a, a fly in amber from five years ago when the course was written about, you know, saying that this, this style of wine is made this way. And, you know, we, we have the flexibility to be talking to winemakers and say, okay, today, this vintage, what are you doing with your wines? How are you making your wines to retain quality levels, you know, often in, in the midst of a changing environment or to adapt to new markets? It's really, we're really trying to create a program that reflects uh, the Italian wine scene as it is right now. And again, uh, it does help our ambassadors, once they're certified, to continue to uh, promote Italian wine. And the innovation that's going on in the winemaking aspect is is really something that a lot of people outside of Italy are unaware of. Uh, we all know that the winemaking sector in this country has has not been a wealthy one in the past. Um, Not a lot of technology was available, but things have changed and sustainability in in cantinas is helping change winemaking. And this is something that Italy is doing really well. So it's wonderful to finish the course, become an ambassador and be able to discuss not only the wine, but the winemaking and the really sort of emerging excellence that Italian enologists have achieved. Definitely. I mean, it's it's such an important part of the theory that we're teaching, along with viticulture, which is something I've, I think, putting on my MW hat, have really tried to push in there these unique cultivation techniques that create distinctiveness from a marketing standpoint, but also truly have an impact. Absolutely. And of course, in the face of climate change, when we talk about areas like Sicily, Sardinia, anywhere that's that's hotter than it has been in the past, viticulture techniques are really impactful on whether or not we're going to be able to keep making wine. Yeah. I mean, even, even areas that are not 
quite so marginal, but are, are moving back towards traditional cultivation methods so that they're shading, shading the grapes more, right? So that you create more longevity in the wines. It's all, it's all, it's really exciting and, and particularly exciting, I think, to see that people are looking back to their own history and not trying to use imported solutions to achieve their goals. Yeah, really, really keeping that made in Italy idea going forward, which which is quite marketable. But it's not only that, I think it's really, it stays authentic to to the tradition, you know, thousands of years of tradition of winemaking in Italy. And that authenticity is something that is unique to what we do in this country. Sarah has kindly agreed, uh, under duress, I'm sure, to have a glass of wine in front of her. And we're going to take a quick run through the tasting grid as an example of how to approach with the wine in your hand and how to make the best, most effective use of the grid. So I'm going to let Sarah start right at the top and tell us how you would approach as a student this tasting grid and the glass that you have in front of you. Thanks, Cynthia. Um, so uh, the wine I have in front of me is a rosato. So um, it'll be exercising part of the grid that we don't always use. So starting with appearance, um, taking a look, obviously we, we first look at intensity. I'd say I'm either a medium or a deep. Just a sidebar, we do, Henry and I, We'll specify in our marking whether whether we'll accept multiple options or whether we're going to insist on one particular uh, descriptor. It really just depends on the specific wine. So in this case, I would accept either medium or deep. I would go for salmon in terms of the color because I am picking up on some more orangey hues. It's not a pure pink. Aromas and flavors. Here again, I'm insisting to myself that I have to have at least one or two fruit uh, descriptors. I think two to give myself the best chance of aligning my fruit descriptor with the examiners. So here I'm saying potentially either a a peach or um, some kind of pink citrus, maybe a pink grapefruit. And then I'm looking at other primary primary aromas that come from the grapes but are not fruit related. So in this case, I'm picking up on some herb notes. I might say macchia. Um, to reflect that kind of resinous Mediterranean herbs, fennel, possibly. I could pick out some specific balsamic type notes, rosemary, thyme, these kinds of things. And then I'm also getting a kind of microbiological component from yeast contact. So thinking about bread type, type flavors, um, might even say sourdough if I'm feeling specific. We always, when we look at what people give us, if something is not on the list of descriptors that we ourselves have created, we'll be open to accepting new descriptors if they make sense and align with what we've uh, with what we've identified. So structure um, with this rosato, it's, the sweetness is very easy. This one is dry, so bank that one. Move on quickly. Acidity again. We have a five point scale. I'm I'm going to go with medium or medium plus on this. Certainly not high. Here for rosato, it's a question. Do we go with tannin? Do we go with texture? My inclination is usually to go with texture for rosato just because the levels of phenolic content are really significantly lower than we would find in most reds. I would say here I have a medium level of chalky or powdery phenolic. Great. I'm, I'm going to back you up just one second on the acidity, Sarah. For, for those who are listening who aren't exactly secure in their knowledge of acidity. How do you assess acidity? Ah, uh, yes. So acidity can be a tricky one. I had never really thought about this having been in wine for so long until I started tasting with my husband, who 
and saying, is this acidity or is it alcohol? And it just, it never occurred to me that those two could be, could be conflated until I realized that, that there's sort of an irritation that happens on the palate with alcohol that can give sort of a sharp sensation that mimics acidity. So acidity, the way to pick it out really is to taste the wine, spit it out and figure out, am I still salivating? A lot of MW students will do what they call the dribble test and count how long after after spitting out the wine they still uh, are dribbling. This is yet another lovely, delicate, and and ever so polite uh, method of handling this. But I think having these little tricks up your sleeve can really help get through this tasting grid and and really help make your assessments correct. Absolutely. So a medium level or really a medium minus, I would say, is where you spit out and your mouth is just bone dry. Afterwards, not astringent, not like dried out, but just no salivation. Whereas a medium plus is where it, you know, you're noticing quite a bit of salivation. High is where your mouth is just pumping out the saliva, desperately trying to clear clear the tongue and uh, and protect itself. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, you were you were heading on to body. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So body again is one that I've been looking at the research to try and figure out if there is a an objective standard for how we should think about body. I've always used comparisons like different dairy products, light being like water, medium being like milk, he- um, heavy or full bodied being like cream. I think the research has suggested that our sensation of body, our perception of body really has to do with the density once our saliva comes into contact with the wine. But I, I, I think the, uh, the dairy analogy <laughs> really experientially tends to be more helpful. Absolutely easier to describe as well. So, <laughs> so what's the body in your wine? The body here is medium or medium plus. Then alcohol level, we do ask, we do ask students to identify the alcohol levels to plus or minus half a grade. It is something that you can train yourself on. I when I was studying for the Master of Wine, found it particularly problematic. And so had a had a training program for myself where I would taste two bottles every morning blind and name the alcohol level and really was able to get myself to within 0.5 of a percent. Really, the, the, the alcohol, we used to say that it was something that was an element of body. I think of it more really in terms of that sensation of heat or irritation on the palate. The thing I've recommended in the past is to try, ideally without choking, to hold a small volume of the wine in your mouth and breathe either in or out. In is the most effective. If you get no sensation of heat, you're usually looking at a fairly low alcohol level, typically 13 or lower. I find it around 14 is that turning point where you start to pick up on a bit of heat when you're exhaling and something like Amarone at 15, 16 or 17%, you're definitely getting this sensation of warmth on the palate. Um, that's quite marked. Great. Let's move on to quality. How is your wine? Yeah. So intensity, intensity is one that we talk about as essential to have a bit, but not more as more. So we want all of our wines to be at least at a medium level to be considered high quality and yet beyond that level, um, it's not necessarily an indicator of quality. It's usually more of an indicator of whether we're dealing with an aromatic grape variety, one that's high in terpenes or not. It's really about figuring out the distance at which you're able to detect the wine. Right. So you'll, you'll see a lot of people in the Via community sitting there with a glass, starting at chest level, moving up gradually past the chin towards the nose. 
think the simplest way to think about it is low intensity is you, you basically need to be practically with your nose stuck inside the glass in order to pick up anything. Medium is if you can detect it at chin level. And high is if it's you know at chest level or even at arm's length and you're picking it up. Perfect. How's yours? Mine is sort of a medium, really. I think it's the other thing to bear in mind is different um, different wine styles are are you have more or less of an expectation of intensity. So if you had, for instance, a very aromatic a grape that should be aromatic, like a ruque, but you are only getting medium intensity, that suggests to me it's probably over the hill. But in the case of a bottle, medium, medium plus maybe is perfectly acceptable. Good. Great. And then for your concentration, our favorite, our favorite category. Absolutely. So this is the one where really it is more of a more is more thing. I think the difference between intensity and concentration, they're kind of analogs, but intensity is on the nose. Concentration is on the palate. That really has to do with the fact that certain volatiles are lighter and we can detect them at lower temperatures. And that's where we're getting the intensity. The concentration is those heavier volatiles that are really only released by the warmth of the mouth. How's that wine you've got in front of you? Um, it's got a decent level of concentration, actually. So we're probably at medium plus here rather than medium. Which is which is good for a rosato. So it's nice to know that that is something that, that students can take to heart. Rosatos don't have to be ballerina tutu pink and and very light they they can have a concentration at that level absolutely yeah italiano rosato is a different beast it's not provencal rosé it's not trying to be provencal rosé absolutely for sure so how about length length so this is really kind of a mathematical question it's how long after you've spat out the wine are you still able to taste it and when i mean when i say taste it i mean really the fruit, and ideally the whole complement of primary aromas, right? If I was having a slightly snide debate with somebody the other day where I said, I, you know, I can still taste this wine 10 minutes later, but I don't really want to. <laughs> and the nasty, the nasty sort of, uh, you know, hydrocarbon type aromas um, or, or sort of burnt nutty aromas that I didn't like in the first place. So with length, we're really talking about concentration of fruit and other varietal characters that we're still getting, you know, 10, 20, 30 seconds later. So you've got your, your rosato that was pretty citrusy, as I recall at the beginning. How's it doing in length? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's a medium. It's certainly not, you know, I don't anticipate still tasting this in, uh, in a minute's time, which I think is where you'd need to be for high length. But it's not the kind of thing where the moment I spit it out, it's gone. Right. Well, that takes us straight to age-worthy. What are we looking at when we see this on the grid 0, 5, and 10? So age-worthiness. I've talked about in the past how age-worthiness is really one of the quality factors where you need to think about a lot of different elements and make a calculus on that basis. So it's a lot about, about balance, actually, which is the other, the other uh, quality factor we still have to touch on where I don't think of it so much in terms of like a scale or a balance beam where you have you know, one element pulling one way or the other. I, I think of it more in terms of a structure of some sort. So in wine, you have your hard structural elements like the tannins and the acidity, and then you have the soft ones. You have the body, you have the alcohol, you have the sweetness. And in a, in a wine that is balanced, you really want to have both. I think of it kind of like a, like a face, right? So you have your bone structure, 
want cheekbones in a certain place, jawbone in a certain place, brow ridge, all, all of these features. But then you also want some flesh, right? So you want plumpness in the cheeks, you want fullness in the lips. And so, so, and that is also something that will give you age worthiness. It's really about a combination of the balance and the concentration, right? The concentration is kind of the, the flavor that make it all worthwhile um, actually having this, this uh, well-built structure. That's a fantastic analogy. I'm going to use that in the future. Very simple and, and right on point. So how's your wine holding up in age worthiness and balance today? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's definitely balanced. I've got a really nice acidity offsetting the alcohol, which is actually is quite high and, and sort of a, a nice level of body. But knowing that um, the aromas that I have here are, I, I think I'm getting probably more in a fruit ester type aromas that, that are likely to fade um, and not really that much concentration. I'm looking at maybe max five years, potentially in the zero bracket. Well, I, I really want a glass of this wine now that <laughs> we've gone through the grid. Uh, so unfortunately, it's 1130 in the morning here. So I don't think that'll be happening, but I will have it in the back of my mind until uh, later this evening. I just want to thank you so much, Sarah, for taking the time to walk us through the grid and to discuss the philosophy um, behind the development of the grid, the elements that have been added that really bring this grid up to a, a super special level of um, usefulness as a tool. And also, I think something that can bridge the gap of understanding of Italian native grapes when people aren't familiar with them. Um, I appreciate all the effort that you and Henry and Francesco have put into the development. And I'm looking forward to finally seeing you in person, hopefully in the spring at the flagship course in Verona. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. Um, really, really, really hoping we can make that work. Me too. Well, thank you again for your time, Sarah. And I will talk to you soon. Chin chin. Chin chin. Okay. That's great. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.